Hogwarts. Welcome. Wrong show, Eric. Wrong show. Wrong show. Uh, hey, did we ever have an intro that said that? No. No, that was Le- that was Pottercast. I think it was Welcome to the Leaky Cauldron or some form of uh, reference to the Leaky Cauldron. To all of you listening at home, keep it up with the scores. I'm Zach. That's Eric. That's Micah. This is Goo, a.k.a. Game of Owns. Yes. I'm trying to be excited about this uh, Super Bowl uh, coming up, guys, now that we have the uh, the teams. But mm-hmm. all I see on my Facebook feed, maybe I've just friended a lot of marijuana advocates or something. <laughs> all I see are these posts about how the two states that have legalized marijuana are now competing in it's, – it's like – it's like that association that your mind makes where it's like they, nobody like none of the team like does marijuana. This so nobody's saying that, but it's all because the states that they come from, it's legal that somehow it is like bearing in on the result. It's, it's not supposed to, but it's in my head. And now all my friends are, well, I, I say the friend loosely and all the people I'm associated with my newsfeed, man, it's just all about the weed. Well, look, first off, I'm glad you didn't call it marijuana. Second off, go ahead, Micah. <laughs> Second off, go ahead, Micah. <laughs> yeah, ahead. I like how he did that. Um, well, first of all, uh, Denver is called the Mile High City. True. So that's another It was another called that way before. <laughs> I know it was called was that before uh, <laughs> weed was uh, legalized. But anybody and everybody uh, takes advantage of the Super Bowl in order to promote their own product or whatever they have. It's just – it's Vice. A, it, yeah, this one time I built a snackadium out of hot pockets, uh, hummus, guac. The list, literally, I could I could say so much, but I'm not going to say it. You're going to just huge. learn the most random shit over the course Google of it. the next two weeks about Seattle and Denver. It's just yeah. how it's going to be, and especially because the Super Bowl is taking place here in the uh, New York metro area. Uh, we don't like to say New Jersey, even though that's physically where it's taking place. But uh, it's going to be quite an interesting um, event here. <laughs> I heard that Governor Chris Christie is going to be blocking traffic on the way to the stadium. Blocking <laughs> yeah. traffic or directing traffic? Both well, at the same time. There's <laughs> been a uh, report, Eric, uh, if you haven't heard about it. Uh, Chris Christie's in a little bit of hot water. But to answer your question, Zach, he, he might be able to physically block traffic himself. <laughs> He's in hot water? What is he, swimming in a bong? Oh, okay. Oh. Um, hey, couldn't they legally uh, show like an ad for marijuana on TV Like now that it's legal in those states? I don't know. The world is changing. Doubtful that it would be able to be broadcast, though, during the Super Bowl because that's a nationally televised game. So the rights are with um, different uh, partners. So anyway, now that we've discussed uh, (laughs) about as much as we can uh, pre-Super Bowl, Eric, I thought you were uh, hinting at something earlier when you were asking about the intro uh, to Pottercast, which is, of course, the official podcast of the Leaky Cauldron. Well, we all know that the Super Bowl uh, is coming up. It's going to be a big event, and the halftime show this year, I think, is uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers and, and someone else. Two big bands. Bruno uh, Mars. We're, Bruno. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, right, right. Yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's his song. Ugh. <laughs> you made me feel um, like... Following the Super Bowl, which is March, right? In March 2nd, I think it is? No, February it's February 2nd. Oh, yeah. February 2nd. Pfft, whatever. Groundhog <laughs> Day. Eric, he's a big sports fan. He's a yeah, huge yeah, sports yeah, ball yeah. fan. Following the Super Bowl, there's an event happening just as big this year. Um, it's happening a couple months after, and that was the that was the whole that was the long and the short of the transition. Just get the there. fucking transition out, Eric. They're waiting. Yeah. <laughs> Following the Super Bowl, there's an event just as big, and unlike the Super Bowl, we will be in attendance at this other event. It is, of course, LeakyCon 2014, 
at the lovely, lovely. Orange County Convention Center in Florida. Um, sunny Florida. Sunny Florida. We've teased Orlando, this before. Florida, July 30th to August 3rd, 2014. Now, if you guys don't know, LeakyCon is ran by some friends of ours. But uh, more importantly, it is, to me, a conglomeration of amazing people having an amazing amount of fun. It's truly one of the coolest experiences I've had just attending this kind of adult summer camp. And <laughs> we are lucky enough to finally tell you all on the podcast officially because we've, we've had this in the works for a while. But now everything's solidified and we kind of know exactly what the plan is. And we won't share the exact plan with you yet, but we can tell you confidently, first and foremost. Actually, I'm going to pass this to Micah. Micah, you say the words. Is this to uh, convince them to join us in Orlando? I feel like you've got dulcet tones. Uh, Eric said his piece. I said my piece. Uh, you say your piece. You know, it just makes sense. Peace. Uh, three strands of rope, like three ninjas. I just uh, would echo what you guys have already said. I think that uh, it's really a great time uh, to have with people who share similar interests. And one of the best things that I can say about these conventions is – you meet new people and you meet people that you form really strong relationships with. Uh, hence the three of us that are now talking. I mean, we really met each other for the first time uh, at a convention and mm -hmm. that seems weird to say, uh, you know, we may have known about each other uh, through other means uh, <laughs> online. But I think one of the great things in, in this day and age, right in 2014 is that, it's very easy for people to kind of rally around different things that they're passionate about. And one of them uh, that seems to be very popular from a fan community standpoint is Game of Thrones. Uh, before that, Potter was one which was huge and still is to this day. But you see a lot of those people moving on to new and different things that they're interested in. And they they're find it really easy to connect with people because of the Internet and because of social media and because of all these great things. and the best part about a convention is that then you get to actually meet those people face to face and you know it's it's just a very unique experience but i think you know for me i've met some of my best friends through these types of events and i know Zach and Eric you guys have as well and you know it's a lot of fun for us too because we get to go down there and we get to interact with people who listen to our show who have been listening since the very beginning and you know it's just it's just a great atmosphere, and if you're a nerd, if you're a geek, whatever you classify yourself as, you're going to go to something like this, and you're just going to have a great time. Yeah, skaters and jaders, both welcome. Um, <laughs> we're, we're not first-timers at LeakyCon, and, and we've been to um, – I was at the one in Portland uh, just last year, and I know Micah, Zach, we were – and Selena were all in Chicago uh, two years ago, uh, which was not far to travel for me, but uh, – these are these are great times, and you know it's grown from being just a uh, Potter-based, you know, themed uh, conference from Harry Potter to what is now just a variety of fans. The whole gamut, really: Doctor Who, Game of Thrones, um, and just web videos, ev everything, everything, Wizard Rock, everything is there. Um, this year, of course, they have the opening <laughs> of the new Harry Potter theme park, <laughs> which is excellent. But uh, you know, also. They're continuing to expand in other areas, and so we will be a you know a fairly uh, large presence for or a, a hub, something that Game of Thrones fans can come and see. Um, and we'll be there, you know, obviously talking about season four at that point, or what will have just been season four, and possibly whatever book we're on as well. So you know, 
we'll have a lot of uh, fun things to do, you know, fan interactive, that sort of thing. Maybe some programming sessions on, I don't know, why Theon's awesome and stuff. And to tell so, him the Joffrey. Got to do and it. Joffrey. We've really seen this convention itself grow over the years. And, you know, the fact that the last two years now it's it's been inside a convention center just speaks to the overall growth and really the passion that fans within their own respective communities have. But I think it's really cool, though, because you can be passionate about more than one thing. You know, you can be passionate yeah. about Game of Thrones. You can be passionate about Potter. Um, or, you know, it's a perfect opportunity to get into something that maybe you didn't think you were that interested in. I mean, Zach, <laughs> I caught and finally I was able to process when you said, uh, what was it? I love pony. My little pony. Come on. Oh, my little oh, pony. Oh, gosh. I got to go to BrodyCon one time. They look Brody like they, they have a party. And that's yeah. the whole point of this. Like, what what these two aren't telling you because they're so more clean cut than I am, uh, is that this is a selection of days for debauchery in a way that you have probably done before, maybe in college, maybe in high school, maybe you're still in high school. It's still a really good time because it's a wide variety of age ranges and a lot of fun for people who are going to be there. Uh, It's just a conglomeration of good shit. But on top of all that, they mentioned that we'd have a a part of strong programming. Uh, I think it's important to mention that you will be able to go – and attend a fucking Game of Owns live show. That's going to be a blast and a half, I have to say. Yes, maybe two blasts if we're lucky. Yeah, that's yeah, it's a bit strong. <laughs> you know, all joking aside, and, and in a way it's not really joking because you will see people there from all different sorts of, of fan communities. And, you know, it, in a way it, it is like a Comic-Con out in Without the overbearing San presence Diego. of all the studios. Exactly. But, it's, but the thing that's so much different in my opinion is that these people – are really passionate, really into their respective communities. And they live and they breathe it. And it's just cool to kind of watch it all come together, watch everybody interact. And Eric, you jokingly said something about um, you know having a, a discussion about why Theon is great. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, I've been told is, is going to happen throughout the course of this couple of days is something called pop-up programming, which really is just instantaneous sort of uh, – organic programming where something could just pop up anywhere and all of a sudden you're you're having a discussion about something uh, you know along the lines of what you just mentioned so uh, it's going to be a lot of fun zach you talked about how this is tied in with the opening of the theme park and i think that uh or i should say the expansion of the theme park in orlando uh for uh, the Wizarding World. So you just have a lot of interesting things that are going to be going on. We will be there. So we look forward to uh, seeing you guys down in Orlando this summer. We'll post all the information in the show notes. And there is a referral link as well. So uh, let them know that uh, Game of Owns uh, sent you over to the site. Well, it's it's important that we move on because the day wanes. It is actually Monday that we're recording this. This is the day of Monday, so this is crazy. Directly following, I will be slicing and dicing. Before uh, we start talking about the chapter for today, uh, which was Sansa, uh, we did get a lot of feedback on the uh, chapter that we read on Friday, which was Arya. So, uh, wanted to uh, go through some of the comments that people left over on WinnerIsComing.net. And uh, no better place to start than with Dolores Ned. <laughs> oh, Dolores. Dolores Ned. Who Good says, guy. this is such a clever chapter. It's stuffed to the brim with foreshadowing and hidden nuggets you only notice on a reread. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we pointed that out uh, on the uh, on the Friday episode 
there were a couple of things that got uh, mentioned in that chapter that I would have never really paid much attention to uh, on the first read through. So uh, it was cool kind of going back and seeing some different things being pointed out. I think we talked about um, how the princess that was referred to was in fact Arya. Um, yeah. You know, little stuff like that that just popped up and really, you know, you, you need to know future events in order for it to hold any weight, really. It was cool for me because um, I read the chapter after publishing the episode, and I wasn't on the episode, obviously. So mm -hmm. I kind of got to listen, like a lot of you guys listened to the show, and I felt like I experienced for a moment sort of what it was like to listen to the podcast and read along with it. And I can say that I was so much better equipped going into the chapter, having some thoughts. And we didn't, you know, none of the details were really spoiled. You guys did a pretty good job at that. And uh, I felt like what Dolores Ned is saying here is completely true. Like, this chapter is full of so much stuff. What happened at the Weirwood is huge, you know? Yeah. Well, the, the changes with Roose Bolton and Tywin are huge. And, the, like, what, Eric, what you were saying, like, the implications of it being Arya's Bannerman that she's being so covert around. And uh, this is the kind of person he is and it's the kind of people that he has running shit at Harrenhal. It's already such an early on sense of foreboding of the people within Rob's rank. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that it was hinted at last week, but we see the sort of the fate of Harrenhal this week in, in, in Sansa's chapter and at least who it goes to. And, you know, we kind of can't help but think that uh, Arya did get out of there in time. Um, but really, why? Why didn't she trust, you know? Her bannerman and questions like that are really interesting to ponder. Ned went on to say, uh, I think the way they changed Arya's season two arc, delaying her first kill, was a smart move. After chatting amiably with Tywin Lannister for a season instead of experiencing the horror Heron Hall was in the book, it would have come out of nowhere. And then uh, he mentions the quote, The rain will wash them clean again. Such a sad, brilliant line you could have said it like the rain will wash them clean again that would have been really cool <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we thank uh dolorous ned for uh his thoughts on this episode and this chapter uh, we also heard from valyrian plastic sounds a little <laughs> strong stuff at Very least strong. they found a place in season three for Arya's quote-unquote first man her thoughts about killing the man in the book just because he was in her way and not because he'd betrayed the starks yet quote what? It's just blood. The rain will wash it off, end quote, has showed just how far she's come psychologically and certainly hinted at where she'd be heading. I said that as if she was being beheaded, but anyway, uh, it might have been better to put it where it was. Otherwise, it would have come out of nowhere. Plus, Sandor's reaction was equally brilliant. So uh, Ned and Valyrian Plastic uh, agreeing here pretty much on uh, how the show ended up playing things out Man, and i'm sad somebody got such a brilliant username <laughs> now i can't have it <laughs> i found myself after that kill thinking oh man like i know we like Arya, but this guy was innocent he was a stark yeah. guy i he just was, was thinking actually... about how he was dead and just gone forever so they could just get through the gate Ooh, a lucky penny that's kind of sad but i just wanted to say that <laughs> I, I mean i think there's a there's such a stark contrast though between what she does in the book and really her first kill in the show. Her her first kill in the show, though, is more for revenge uh, after what happened at the Red Wedding, whereas in the book, her first kill is just to get this person out of the way. And I think you really uh, got re a good insight into how she's developing as a character. Atomics also uh, commented on the chapter, and he said, 
This chapter and the first cat chapter of Storm of Swords are like the linchpin of my crushed hopes. Both are brilliant, <laughs> hopeful, foreboding, and amazingly malignant. I like your adjectives. They're linchpin. Good. A pin passed through the end of an axle to keep a wheel in position. And a person or thing vital. Finally, House Martell says, <laughs> sorry I had guys. to look this up. Hey, for our <laughs> listeners there. Westeros and England both have pennies. No breaking of the fourth wall here. Maybe you went to the bank earlier that day. I don't know. But it didn't seem like a very very Westerosian currency, um, given all the other uh, forms of currency we've heard right. uh, in the series thus far. Honors and... Golden oh, dragons. Yeah, well, uh, just for the record, I'm not uh, giving my own to anybody else. Uh, for last week's episode, it still goes to Abraham. Okay. All right. Well, uh, honesty yeah. thanks you very much. His birthday. Other characters up next of Westeros month. could really learn something yeah. from his honesty. Yeah, doubtful though, because um, we're not really sure where he falls in the timeline related to uh, when this is all taking place in Westeros. But... That's fair. If he were born in medieval times, he would have been a badass warrior knight. Maybe. You would have had a cool hat. I think we can agree on that. <laughs> a helm. A top helm. <laughs> but uh, we'll get back to uh, comments and tweets a little bit later on in the show. Some of your owns that uh, pertain to this particular chapter as well as a litany of other things. And uh, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Sansa here. Uh, Clash of Kings coming to an end and uh, a chapter for Sansa that starts out uh, very much hopeful and is completely – what's the right – character trait here to attribute to how the chapter ends devastating unexpected yeah. for me it's just it's it's really unexpected the very very end of this chapter um is a little strange because it seems like george really wants to give all of the stark kids magic like and oh, this was yeah. his last chapter to do so mm -hmm. um so it ends with this trinket which is like a hairnet that Sir Danto says is like magic and justice and home and all this stuff. He just like, obviously they talk about something very, very important, which as you say, Micah devastates Sansa, but at the very end of it, he gives her this hairnet and is like, this is justice. This is magic. This is home. I'm like, what? It's a, she's like, it's just a hairnet. She's like given this object, which I think we're meant to believe has magical properties, which is just weird. It's just weird. But all throughout this book, it follows a trend. I mean, Jon Snow can warg, Bran can warg. We found that out in this book. Uh, Arya has some magic. She's talking with her dad, you know, and hanging around weirwoods and stuff. Yeah, I think it was really just kind of closing this uh, task of George's to somehow give her something magic. But since it's not in the show, I really question whether or not it's just a regular hairnet. Well, maybe not yet, because in the show, I, and I got some insight out of this chapter. We're kind of jumping around a little bit. But as, yeah. at one point in this chapter, um, Sir Dantos finally says, and they're at the weirwood tree, we i finally found the night the date that we can escape and she's like what are you talking about i thought that that shit was over with why are you even still here and he goes when joffrey gets married to marjorie tyrell everyone's gonna be busy shit's gonna get crazy so in my head i'm piecing together the fact that we haven't seen any kind of escape maybe it's the show is waiting for this moment to happen like I, i'm not sure but if if that's yeah. the case, maybe something like the hairnet could could come into play around where it's near the time. Because I don't think it's as impactful as the Obsidian, where they need to introduce it way ahead of time. Like there may just be something that happens at the last yeah, minute. That's a good point. I mean, at least in the book, it's like oh, they're getting married next month. But in the in the television show, it's a whole season, actually two seasons before you know from the time that Sansa is cast aside 
to the time when Marguerite will actually marry Joffrey. One of the key differences, though, is that Dantos, or Sir Dantos, is really not a, a focal character in the TV show. We see him uh, at the beginning. I want to say it was of, uh, was it season two or, or season three? Two. When uh, Joffrey is pouring the wine down his throat mm-hmm. and Sansa steps in to save him. But that relationship has never grown uh, to be anything more than just that moment. And maybe they'll bring Sir Dantos back in some fashion here in season four. Uh, but really the role has been taken over uh, by Peter Baelish. And you know he offers to take her away uh, at one point um, in season three. And so um, I, what I think, uh, you know, this particular chapter does is it puts us in, in a different position because now we actually know a bit more than what is happening in the show. We know that Ser Dantos plans to take Sansa away on the night of Joffrey's wedding, and that is not and has not been stated at all in the TV show. Um, so going to be interesting to see how this particular set of events plays itself out on television uh, since it's much different in the books. But same general concept that she's looking to be freed of King's Landing. I'm nervous as to how they're going to handle it because I know you, what you just mentioned in season three when Baelish offered her like the extra bed and offered her the way out. The reason she turned him down in season three was because she was just promised to Loras, and this was exciting. And she's she had just walked with him. She had just met with Elena Tyrell. Like, this was exciting, and maybe things weren't going so bad. But in the book, Sansa will pretty much do anything. Like, she has a fleeting moment of happiness at the beginning of chapter that we'll address here in a moment. But, you know, after it's made clear to her when Dantos is finally like, hey— uh, you do realize that Cersei A is not going to let you leave, and B, he's the king. So if you thought that it was bad before that you're going to be having kids with him, embrace the fact that not only are you going to be having kids with him now, still they're going to be bastards. So yeah. it's going to be yeah. even worse. Here's the quote. Uh, the queen will never let you go, never. You are too valuable a hostage. And Joffrey, sweetling, he is still king. If he wants you in his bed, he will have you. Only now it will be bastards. He glanced in the room instead of trueborn sons. And... You know, Sansa's just shocked, and she says, "No, he he let me go." He and she's just like, "Look, it's you're no better off. Um, in fact, everyone's attention, the queen's attention, is still on you, and that's bad for us. That's bad for us getting you out of King's Landing. The only day that'll be different is on Marguerite and Joffrey's wedding day." Yeah, so I'm I'm interested to see how they will handle that. But we have a good handful of weeks until that happens, and we have this book to finish, so let's just jump right into it, shall we? I uh, highlighted some text at the beginning of the chapter here. If uh, we would all like to follow along in our reading, everybody, grab your bookmarks. Here we go. Follow it down the page like I saw some kids do starting in second grade and on. It starts as, The throne room was a sea of jewels, furs, and bright fabrics. Lords and ladies filled the back of the hall and stood beneath the high windows, jostling like fishwives on a dock. The denizens of Joffrey's court had striven to outdo each other today. Jalab Hazo was all in feathers, a plumage so fantastic and extravagant that he seemed like to take flight. The high septon's crystal crown fired rainbows through the air every time he moved his head. (laughs) (laughs) At the council table, Queen Cersei shimmered in a cloth of gold gown slashed in burgundy and velvet. I love that slashed, you know? That's so good there. While beside her, Varys fussed and simpered in a lilac brocade. Moonboy and Sir Dantos wore new suits of motley. Clean as spring morning. Even Lady Tonda and her daughters looked pretty in matching gowns of turquoise silk and veil. And Lord Giles was coughing into a square of scarlet silk trimmed with golden lace. King Joffrey sat above them all, 
Amongst the blades and barbs of the Iron Throne, he was in crimson samite, his black mantle studded with rubies, on his head, his heavy golden crown. Ooh. Here is what's happening here. The Lannisters, having won the Battle of Blackwater, are gloating. Huge, big time, huge celebration. Everybody get dressed up, come to the throne room, you know, wear your best. We are going to simultaneously in one long ass day honor all of the heroes and then condemn all of the traitors all in one day. It's like having a wedding and right after it holding a funeral and expecting everybody to stay for both of them. <laughs> and Sansa is trapped, you know, but by the end of the day, you know, the sun is going down by the time that they leave and everybody just feels kind of trapped, really. And, and more to the point... Because they honor all of the heroes first, by the time they get to the traitors, Joffrey's tired. Joffrey, even even only he, is just sick of people and being king and doing these things. And so everybody else gets that much harsher uh, you know, response, I guess, to, to him. And Not that I'd say it's particularly harsh, because he seems to welcome back a, a fair few people who will pledge fealty to him. Yeah. But, I mean, with these honors, it said something like 600 knights are made. And that's a, a huge number, but that's just how many people stood out, I guess, and survived. Um, you know, some some of them, as Sansa notes, get knightships or lordships pretty much just for being the only few who survived in, in their particular uh, facet of the battle. Right. Um, but you come away feeling like the realm is a bit stronger and that these heroes were honored in this public fashion is going to be a good thing for the Lannisters, and it's going to be a good thing for the realm moving forward following this horrible battle of Blackwater, which everybody feared and which came so close to being lost. And it's important, though, that the Lannisters do this, because, let's face it, there's still a war to be fought, so having all of these men be made knights, if it helps their cause, and it ensures that somewhere down the line in the future that they would rally to the Lannisters' cause, then it makes a whole lot of sense on the part of the Lannisters to knight them. I think the most important, aside from Peter Baelish getting Heron Hall uh, and you know other uh, titles, for me, what I thought was really lacking from the TV show that they didn't do a good job of was the Tyrells. And the fact that here you had three family members who were now coming before Joffrey. You had Loras, who wanted to be a member of the Kingsguard. Uh, you had Mace, who wanted to be a member of the Council. And you had, um, is it Garland? Garland, yeah. Who is giving uh, his sister's hand to Joffrey. And I, I felt that was a little bit glossed over. I mean, we had the moment on the TV show which everybody was so happy that they kept from the books, which is when Tywin Lannister enters and his horse shits. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the moment when he got rid of Sansa, when he was convinced to let her go. Oh, yeah. Just right there at that moment, he was just like, oh, the gods are good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The gods are good. That that was true to the book. and But, uh, of course, the horse shitting just seems to trump that. A lot of it was right. was true to the book, almost line for line, because I know Garland Tyrell, when he's when he's talking to Joffrey, and he's like, she's grown to love you from afar and shit like yeah, that. Like, yeah. she said that in the show. So that I, I thought it was an interesting way that they captured it, actually having Marjorie there. 
but it, it could have been much more broad. It could have been more overbearing because even now, just reading the book and having the Tyrell's presence there, it's like I'm thinking, Joffrey, you're really happy. You're walking around. You're kissing people, but you may need to think about these decisions before you put someone A in your bed, B on your council, and C a sword right beside you in your king's guard. Well, I mean, I think they they really did make that much of a difference in Blackwater that. You know, it's really like, okay, well, we'll ask you anything you want shall be yours. And there were three of them, and they got their three wishes. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say it wasn't pre-rehearsed, because even Sansa knew. In fact, Queen Cersei must have met with her previous, uh, prior to this, because Sansa, you know, kind of recounts a dialogue they had with each other about this situation. And Sansa told the Queen you know, that she wants to go home. And the queen got annoyed and said, don't you know, silly girl, we don't get what we want. Um, But basically, everybody knew Joffrey has to act surprised uh, when Garland asks for Marguerite's hand. But it was all prearranged. It's all a big facade for the public eye. Just another chance for them to demean the Starks in front of everyone and make them out to be the bad guys. And... Well, that was a, a sad note, too, like when they said uh, her brother, you know, opposes us still <laughs> to this day. You know, not only was her father a huge traitor, but really, uh, Joffrey, really, King, you uh, you should let her go. Maybe I'm just not recalling the show correctly, and I know things were done a little bit differently, but uh, I think, Zach, what you were saying is so important. It's just the implications of, of having the Tyrells so integrated now into what's going on at King's Landing, I felt like that was a little bit glossed over, a little bit passed over, uh, because, you know, as you noted, you, you having somebody who's responsible for protecting the king, you're having somebody who's helping to make the decisions for the realm, and you're having somebody, um, you know, who is now going to be married uh, to the king. That's a large amount of influence. Triple threat. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that they're going to do a good job to capture that now in season four, though, don't you think? Uh, I think so, because now we actually have somebody who's going to be playing uh, Mace Terrell. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, As opposed to that stick figure guy on a popsicle stick that they used in season three, guys. <laughs> Wasn't that terrible? Yeah. Well, no, I think what they used was it was actually Loris, right? Loris yeah. was the one who was speaking on behalf of the family, and Marjorie was actually present for that. Um, again, I'm not 100% sure because I can't recall exactly the scene, but you know, just kind of going through and rereading all of this, I think it just showed you uh, that the Lannisters pay their debts. You know, they, but, they but they're not the only ones who people. pay their debts. Oh. In what sense? <laughs> oh, sorry, that was a quote from the Tell trailer. your father, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other family. That's the Martells. We don't need to talk about them for another couple of weeks. Another thing I thought the show kind of glossed over. Uh, I'm going to read this right from the book. Joff made a show of asking his grandfather to assume governance of the realm, and Lord Tywin solemnly accepted the responsibility until your grace comes of age. Now, I know that they made him the hand of the king, but asking his grandfather to assume governance of the realm, am I just kind of missing something here, or is this is he sort of becoming a regent in a way, protector of the realm, or is he just going to be a normal hand of the king handling business yeah he's from the way i read it it seemed like he was the new regent like until you come of age is what he yeah says that's, as, that's how i as, take it as hand of the king it's not till you come of age you can always be hand of the king because it has nothing to do with assuming the role of king like he is running the realm now above cersei i would just say don't forget that he was named hand of the king but he gives it to Tyrion because Tyrion is the only one who's 
able to go back and right. kind of rule in his stead. But he's back now, so he's taking hand of the king. I mean, he but literally he could just sort of take his pin back, right? Like he, this yeah. this governance quote here is this something that means more than what we kind of been told in the book? Like he has even more of a call because I'm I'm not sure. You guys can write in and, and let us know. Obviously, yeah. it, it may become more prevalent in later books, but I thought it was interesting. Tyrion is being phased out. He is, you know, for all we know, he's dying. Like he's he's he was injured very very badly. Sword to the face. Can we just... Can't iterate that enough. He took a sword to the face. Um, and it, I, from what I gather, it's much worse in the books than it is in the, the TV where it kind of heals over and actually still looks pretty good. Um, I think he, like, loses all his nose or something in the books from what Francis said. So, look, the deal is he is recovering in a hospital bed. He's not here to witness this ceremony. And the fact that Tywin is being... you know, There's no mention of Tyrion from the royal family, I should say. Um, you know, the only person who mentions Tyrion is one of the traitors who's like, burn the dwarf, burn the whore wife and all this <laughs> stuff. And it's just like, man, he still gets shit for it, like for being part of that family. But he's not here to witness this because he's off clinging to life. And the fact that this whole ceremony takes place without him shows uh, a severe, you know, let, set aside the fact that Cersei is the one who ordered the attack on him which he knows because it was a member of the Kingsguard who committed the crime. Um, you know, the family has forgotten about him or has moved him aside and he no longer matters to them at this point. You know, and what you said, Zach, about it being true, about him giving Tyrion the handship back, great. But right now, it's just like, screw Tyrion. Like, he's he's not one of us. It's a complete fall from power for him. You know, it, it he starts out doing so much in this book and he's really tasked with an unbelievable amount of responsibility and if you think about it if Tyrion hadn't taken the steps that he did in order to secure the city then Tywin probably would have showed up too late mm-hmm. you know yeah. the, it, it's just lost on so many people that what he did really was save king's landing and yet you see that he's not being honored in the right way even going into Season three of the television show, you don't feel like he is being given his due for what he was able to accomplish, um, really, without any help from Cersei, without any help from any other members of the uh, the council, perhaps with the exception of Varys. And so he's in a very delicate position now. He's injured. There's talk of him dying. Uh, and so we head off into this next book, not really sure his fate and not really sure what awaits him. Um, you know, we, we talked about some things that have been glossed over. And again, you can correct me if I'm wrong because I don't remember exactly scene for scene what happens in the TV show. But this moment when Joffrey gets stabbed by the throne, it's said to him that the throne denies him. It's such a powerful moment, though, and I don't remember it being in the show. I feel like that's something I would have remembered. Well, we didn't have the very exciting moment when one of Stannis's men just starts shouting that King Stannis is the true king. And that A, he's a bastard. Uh, B, Cersei's a whore. There's a weird spider hanging out that no one likes. You know, the <laughs> list goes on of the things. And damn the dwarf. Yelled. Yeah, damn the dwarf too. And, and, and read this chapter yourself if you want the, the full list of obscenities yeah, yeah. that he screamed. But it was it was very exciting because he was – basically causing a big ruckus and this is why this is while joffrey is pardoning some people and apparently this guy was a little too stubborn to remain alive so they you know 
Ilan Payne was ordered to take him out back and take care of him, but that didn't happen. This yeah. is th- this is where Joffrey gets so pissed off at the things that this guy is saying that he's like, I'm king, I'm king, and he slams his hands down on the Iron Throne. Who does goes, that? Mommy, mommy, yeah. mother. He, yeah, he cries mother. Yeah, he really does. Mother. And that, that was shocking, and it's meant to take you out That's of it. That's a moment these, of weakness right these there, people, though. Well, these people are um, all forced to be here, too, and witness this, which is the shame of it all that they've been there for eight hours already they just want to go and all of a sudden there's this humorous thing absolutely does work to undo some of the things that lannisters have done here today the fact that this knight who is unnamed and remains unnamed and is killed in front of everybody um is able to shout these things and he's quick enough to say aha see the throne denies him as joffrey's bleeding and has to be rushed off like it is such a, a perfect scene of undoing uh for them all, in addition to it being very poetic and clever. But to answer your question, Mike, I really don't think it is in the TV show because I don't think that throne used in the television series can be sharp. You yeah. know, it's, a, it's a rights reason. It's an insurance reason for those actors to sit upon it. It's it's probably uh, very soft and cuddly. Can I just say now that I wish we had the real throne? You know what I mean? <laughs> the real throne? Uh. I've never complained about throne looking fake on the show because it doesn't like... I mean, it's a throne made of swords. Come on, it's going to be no, sharp. No, that throne is fine, but the, the yeah. real throne from the concept art that George kind of meant to be put into it, I realize. Oh, like it would the one been... that's like 1,500 feet tall? No, it's it's like it's like probably 18 feet tall, and it's fucking crazy. It is crazy. I mean, crazy. it is something. It is crazy. That's what it needs to be, because that's what a Targaryen would sit on. That's you know? true. That's true. He, 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 he was crazy enough to have a chair that looks like the original concept art. Yeah. Right. You know, we talked a little bit about it earlier, and. Um, this is all happening through Sansa's eyes, which is a bit weird because this is all political business uh, to see it through her eyes, though. But she sees it as very much a good thing. I mean, she's really happy. She's been set free. She doesn't have to marry Joffrey anymore. And now we're left to wonder what's to become of her. And uh, you know, we kind of started out the chapter discussion uh, in the Godswood um, between her and Ser Dantos, but uh, that's that's where this chapter comes to an end, and uh, she's been given a time that uh, she will be taken away to parts unknown, and uh, we're we're left to wonder a little bit as to who Sir Dantos is really working on behalf of. It's just so interesting to see him still in the picture, because I think even Sansa wrote him off. There was that scene, uh, one of her chapters before Blackwater where they either met or she had thought about him, where it's like, well, that didn't happen. He didn't rescue me before the whole city was set fire to. Okay, that's a shame. For him to come back and still be like, oh, here I am, and uh, by the way, we we got you out. We're going to do this. Um, is very odd, you know, for him to still... But he, like, he goes back to making promises. And, and he comes bearing gifts. And he comes bearing gifts, which is weird, <laughs> okay? It's gifts weird from a shy. Yeah, from a shy. It is jeweling crusted from a shy. I want to read the quote here. It was a hairnet of fine spun silver, the strands so thin and delicate the net seemed to weigh no more than a breath of air when Sansa took it in her fingers. Small gems were set wherever two strands crossed, so dark they drank the moonlight. What stones are these? Black amethysts from a shy, the rarest kind, a deep true purple by daylight. It's very lovely, Sansa said, thinking... It is a ship I need, not a net for my hair. Lovelier than you know, sweet child. It's magic, you see. It's justice you hold. It's vengeance for your father. 
Dantos leaned close and kissed her again. It's home. <laughs> I almost have no comment. That doesn't make any sense. It does. I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. Well, not within this context. It doesn't make sense, but I'm sure it can later on in the series. Yeah, if she holds on to that hairnet and doesn't throw it away for the piece of junk it appears to be. Well, maybe she'll throw it to distract a guard, like he'll pick it up and then she'll slit his neck. Yes! You know? Yes! I don't think that's Sansa's style. Well, you never uh, know. She's an evolving true. character moving you do forward never know. in the show and Just the think about how, how she feels about some of the women in this chapter. Uh, like, she says their lustiness of, of roars as, like, men at a cockfight. Um, you know, talking about some of the knights getting honored and stuff. And it, it's a real disparaging comment to come from her because she, you know, up until very, very recently was performing all the duties necessary to become a lady. And she really feels in this chapter more like Arya, you know, sitting and not wanting to put on a dress. It's that kind of thing mm-hmm. um, where she has undergone maybe a little bit more of a transformation than we realize. And it's only really pointed out here. Yeah, but there's still that um, kind of blissful ignorance to her. And that is what is taking center stage in this chapter because she very much thinks that she's in the clear and then Sir Dantos kind of brings her back to reality. So again, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Um, I think it's time for owns though. I agree. Owns could be had. I'm interested whether or not any of you are going to give your own to Sansa because I feel like this was a chapter where she didn't do very much. You know, she saw a whole lot, but she personally did not do very much. I mean, I guess she could kind of get known for listening to Cersei and not smiling or celebrating when she was told that someone else would be marrying Joff. She was very much the observer in this chapter. It was a good chapter, though. A lot of interesting things happened. And if I had to, like, narrow down what exactly I would give my own to, I would have to say. Maybe House Lannister, or maybe the people that House Lannister helped, because uh, there's a really great paragraph, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically what's happening is Tywin's brother was just given his reward, and uh, they start to rise up all of these lower-class people. And essentially what House Lannister did was, whatever level of the social ladder they were on, they, they, they brought them up one level and gave them a whole bunch of cool armor. Like each person, the level of how cool the armor was and how much they got was also relevant to what their existing social class was. So you had Sir Foot that was turned to Lord Philip of House Foot, and he gets to take over some lands of some people that they took over. And he not only does he get any war horse he wants in the stable or a suit of armor or folded steel and all this crazy shit, he's also this lord now. So that's great. And the list goes on. So the, the lowest people at the bottom of the barrel, they at least got the chance to become knights when they became of age, and his family gets to hang out at Castle Rock and work for the Lannisters, so not a raw deal there, right? It's not a bad deal. You, I mean, you find people getting uh, the possessions and land that that were reserved for the enemies that they conquered. It's like, yeah. oh, you killed you killed this dude in battle? Okay, well, he's only got some foreign distant cousin who's, to be honest, a little weird, so you can have his stuff. Like, <laughs> just, just take it. <laughs> There's no true heir there anyway. Um, if he would have done a little bit more fornicating and a little less war fighting, uh, you know, things would be different. But it is good on the House of Lannister. I would agree with that. And one thing just to note, I mean, we talked about Baelish a little bit, but the fact that he's being promised Harren Hall, and we know that Bruce Bolton currently occupies Harren Hall, and we, we had a discussion on Friday where we talked a little bit about Bolton's allegiance and some of the things that were happening there. But again, it's just a little bit of a hint, a little bit of a nod to the fact that perhaps things aren't completely as they seem, you know. You can't really promise 
uh, a piece of land to somebody or a castle to somebody when it's not true truly in your possession well i think maybe littlefinger would be clued into that you know i i think he un- he would understand that it's not really they're gifting him Hall, but it's not really like his you know i i think the reason he's like uh it's a good good analogy here he's nobody expects him to use that him in a castle is like no, that that doesn't work because he belongs where he is now. Yeah, but, I mean, but he's also given Lord Paramount of the Trident, which is oh, yeah. something that is not really Tywin's at this point to give either. So no, it's it's not attainable. And watching Sansa point that out, you know, in her head and say, "Well, no, their allegiance is to River Run and to my brother and all this other stuff." Like they're gonna, they're not gonna do that. That's not gonna happen all right so what is your own of the chapter eric uh you know there's a lot of great uh subject owns you know a lot of these knights that come in and are honored for all of their feats there could i mean they're all owns um but the own i'm going to give is uh as is tradition with me a little bit more surface um i'm going to give my own to paxter redwine lord of the arbor Mm -hmm. uh who named his twin sons Horror and slobber. Yep. Horror and <laughs> um, slobber red wine. I get it. Okay, babies, a little ugly looking. I mean, if they if they just come out covered in blood, who knows what else? I'm sure that you know there you, there may be a, a millisecond before that paternal instinct, that natural parenting instinct, kicks in and says them the most beautiful things in the world. But apparently, for him, it lasted long enough for him to give them names. And uh, the names that he chose, and somehow his wife let him get away with this, and somehow the realm let him get away with this, uh, he named them Horror and Slobber. And they're twins. So that uh, is my own. I'd rather be okay. Horror, personally. You'd rather be Horror than Slobber? Yeah, yeah. I'd rather be, like, scary, fear-inducing, or maybe even just scary-looking myself than to be associated with the dull, like, running of fluid from your mouth because you don't really have the audacity to close it sometimes. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much, con- but even they get honored. So it's like, you get a lordship and you get a lordship. All right. All right, Micah, tell us yours. We talked a little bit about this quote, but uh, I have to give it uh, to that knight of Salamine with a fiery heart or fiery heart, depending on how you want to read it, on his surcoat when he said, Joffrey is the black worm eating the heart of the realm. Mm-hmm. Darkness was his father and death his mother. Destroy him before he corrupts you all. Destroy them all, Queen Whore and King Worm, Vile Dwarf and Whispering Spider, the False Flowers. Save yourselves. The Scouring Fire will come. King Stannis will return. See, that's the quote that we were referencing before. That's the one that says, like, the dwarf sucks. And <laughs> it's like Tyrion's not even there. Yeah. Yes, that was good. Black Worm eating is it's very good with imagery. The the quote... um you know, his father was darkness does remind me of the shadow baby uh, or shadow creature <laughs> as if that's somehow being implied, but we know it's not. Um, I just couldn't help it. His father was darkness. I'm like, really? You're saying like a demon fathered him when really it was just Jamie Lannister. Yes. So uh, what kind of uh, owns did we receive for uh, this chapter from our great listeners? Uh, on Twitter, we received uh Two from two different people, but they are, in fact, the same own. And, look, I think this has something to do with the fact that it was adapted so perfectly to the television. Um, but, Hal, it's, uh, it's an own of itself uh, in the book. Molly M., uh, a.k.a. Eskimo Mo on Twitter, uh, says, 
Tywin's Destrier, the obvious own, goes to that. And uh, Erica Lynn at Hagrid's Coat on Twitter says, so many owns, but I think I have to give mine to Lord Tywin's Destrier. Did you see on Molly's tweet the pile of shit with the smiley face? No. Oh my god. That is a crazy emoji. I learned what those are recently. Is it Hanky the Christmas Poo? No, it's not Mr. Hanky, but if it was, we would know. He's <laughs> it's got a very discernible shape. I, okay, on to the next face. thing. Well, Joffrey had to step next to it, so his gingerly. Joffrey had to Joffrey had to step around it, which is why I think it owned him. In uh-huh. You know, we did get some uh, non-related uh, own, uh, non-related owns, but we did get uh, some random tweets here, uh, which we uh, wish to read. The first is Stephanie Petch, who said, uh, "Also, I'm late to the party on this one, but." Game of Owns is one of my new favorite podcasts. If you like Game of Thrones, check it out. So thank you, Stephanie, for sharing us with your friends there. Yeah. Um, you know, Caleb, uh, Caleb Graves, who I podcast with over on MuggleNet Alohomora podcast, said uh, to us, now that I'm on the sullied side of things, I don't know how Micah held back in Game of Owns' trailer breakdown episode. I know so, how I held back. Thanks, Caleb, for your support there. Thank you, Caleb. Yeah, I don't really know how I held back either. <laughs> <laughs> this one is from Joshua Green. Uh, last one, he says, listening to Trailer Madness, and maybe Jamie's barber is the same guy who cut off his hand, just a thought. Rest in peace. I said the same thing, but someone else <laughs> was talking at the same time. But I was thinking about how he was cutting away the flesh, and I was like, maybe he screwed up his hair, too. Yeah, because yeah, we noticed he has a new hairdo in season four. You know, we got a couple tweets from uh, Ida Eskov, who's, uh, I believe, from Denmark. Uh, we've featured a tweet or two of hers before. Um, she had a bit of a dilemma. Uh, and, you know, we like this, uh, getting these updates from people who, you know, listeners who are clearly like, I don't know, just doing shit and listening to us. But uh, Ida says, uh, note to self, do not get iTunes to synchronize podcasts late at night. It will take forever and you will want to flip <laughs> the table. Okay, Ida, hope you didn't flip any tables. Uh, follow-up tweet, follow-up tweet, <laughs> if my iPhone says there's not enough space for podcasts, somebody's going to get hurt, parenthesis, most likely myself for kicking something. Yes, uh-huh. that's what happens when you get angry. Final tweet from her, Ida says, success, I will now go to bed with these sweet sounds of Game of Bones in my ears, hashtag thank the gods, hashtag iTunes is my bitch. Well, that's, okay. I love that, Ida Oskov. Ida Oskov, technical difficulties averted, crisis. Yes. She what walked us through. Uh, she could be a uh, possible reference for Apple in the future of how to uh, solve your iTunes problems. Yeah. And, uh, you know, finally we read some comments earlier from winnerscoming.net that uh, they some commenters had some feedback on our Friday episode. Uh, and this one kind of ties into it but wasn't directly related to the chapter. It was to a question that somebody had asked about certain character appearances in Season 4. And uh, Sunspear made the comment, I think the comparison you're looking for LSH and CH is Elena Terrell. Uh, There's somewhat important characters that you could see being cut without a large amount of trouble. So uh, again, uh, not to get into speculation as to whether or not those two characters, LSH and CH, will be in uh, season four, uh, but it's true. I mean, there are certain characters, obviously, that need to be uh, in the show because they're integral to the storyline, but... Depending on what uh, Benioff and Weiss and you know their group decide to do uh, moving forward, uh, they're both characters that I think that 
could be cut uh, from the overall storyline. Um, you know, it's that's just the way that it goes, unfortunately. We have so many subplots, and you can really just share them with whoever you want. You know, it's, it's it's weird, but it's kind of cool the way that we've seen plots get dealt with before by just giving them to other characters. It's like the different flavors of Oreos, you know, and the different like amount of icing. You can get regular or double stuff. You know, there's like birthday cake Oreos now. Yes, of course. Oh, yeah. They taste just like Dunkaroos, if you remember Dunkaroos. And they also have Oreo birthday cake ice cream. All right. That shit is cray. <laughs> Songs are written. Harps are played for those. <laughs> I'm going to read off a few things. I tweeted from uh, Twitter like 45 minutes ago or some shit. I was like, hey, we're about to record. And uh, a few people said hi. So uh, hi to Ash T. Uh, and hi to Patrick Sullivan. I'm just going to say hello. And to Pam for saying the best part of traveling is getting caught up on Game of Thrones. Only five episodes behind now. So uh, you're, you're catching up. Slowly but surely you'll be there. They're, we keep them sort of shortest, except for today. We had a lot to talk about, and we are excited about LeakyCon and all that stuff. It's a, it's a really good time because Season 4 approaches, and also because Eric is going to tell you how to get in touch with us. Yes, get in touch with us on Twitter, as uh, many of our listeners do, at Game of Owns on Twitter, or twitter.com slash Game of Owns. Um, you know, I just noticed that uh, Princess Marcella Baratheon is on Twitter here. Uh I don't think she tweeted it. She's one of the recommendees on the uh, things, but uh, that's a very interesting character account to have. Twitter is where it's at for us most of the time, and that is the most frequent way to get in touch with us. Very quick, if you have more than 140 characters in which to say a message to us, you can always scroll upon our wall over at facebook.com slash gameofones or email us at our email address, contact at gameofowns.com. We've also started an Instagram page to post ridiculous photos from Game of Thrones. It's at gameofowns. Uh, there's no one on there because this is the first time we've told anyone about it. So, uh, yeah, it's there. Go check it out. Click uh, the like button on stuff because we'll take pictures of uh, nothing. We'll just post stuff from Game of Thrones. Yeah, camels. Camels become be a camel there. porn Instagram. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't flag any of the posts as inappropriate, please. And in addition to what uh, Zach and Eric have mentioned, you can, of course, uh, leave us comments like many of our uh, listeners did on winnerscoming.net. Uh, we will share them for all to hear uh, on our episodes as we did uh, earlier on in this one. And you can also check out uh, hypable.com. They have a lot of great articles right now that feature Game of Thrones, uh, particularly the uh, Season 4 teaser trailer. There was a uh, great article uh, by Ariana at Ariana underscore Stark on Twitter, and it was entitled Game of Thrones Season 4 Trailer, 12 Shots That Prove It's Going to Be an Epic Season. So definitely uh, check out that article over on Hypable.com and feel free to leave us some feedback um, on our uh podcast posts or on any of these articles uh, we do read uh reading is fundamental so uh we will uh, share those uh, <laughs> comments as well and uh, oh god finally there is itunes where you can leave us a rate and review in the month of january nothing less than five stars is acceptable uh and nothing has changed much over the last several months so uh we do appreciate you leaving your feedback there. It is great uh, for other people to see and get to know what it is uh, that we do thrice weekly. And uh, I think we have time for one. I think we really I think, don't, I think we but we do. One in. Uh, so uh, this one is from uh, Justin Fication, which is a cool name. Uh, it's actually at Justin Fication. So I don't know if uh, Justin 
decided to do this via Twitter or if that's even possible. But he says, best GOT podcast dot 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 in the world. So thank you. Uh, He goes on to say, I love Game of Thrones. Uh, Because of that, I've read all the books and listened to many different Game of Thrones podcasts to make sure I didn't miss anything. I consider myself a Game of Thrones scholar. I appreciate Game of Owns because they provide consistent, in-depth, entertaining coverage unlike other podcasts. I think that's what we're going to put on our website. So thank you for that. Uh, Very nice. I won't say names, but I have to compare since I said, quote-unquote, best. Uh, Three times a week is a lovely supplement in between seasons. Keep it up. I can't wait until y'all get to the other books. P.S. If any of you are ever in Austin or San Antonio, Texas, hit me up. I owe all y'all a beer. Can you uh, also owe us a breakfast taco? Because they're real good in San Antonio. (laughs) (laughs) You don't owe us enough, sir. Thank you for the review justification. That was that was very kind. Really appreciate it. All right. Indeed. Well, I believe that wraps up our Monday episode. Unless we can think of something else to uh, throw in here for Zach to edit. Let me think. Uh, there's no music except the music that you're hearing with the strings, the violin. That was well done. Uh, a few episodes ago, there may be some spoiler, or there may be some delicious diamond-like nuggets at the very end. Uh, there's not going to be anything like this. You make this me feel like. You just—if the more people say ridiculous stuff, the more likely we are to have a dance remix, and that's just I've not going to happen. Out of heaven. All right, well, let's that's say bye Eric to everybody. Oh, so long, oh, oh, and that's Micah, and that's Zach shaking his head. Yeah. So stay warm. It's still <clears throat> kind of the winter. It's supposed to snow here tomorrow. See you on Wednesday, aka Wednesday. Bye bye. You know, I work for a guy named Patrick Sullivan, but I'm looking at the picture, and it's just not him. <laughs>